Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. Have you ever thought that you were too old to take up a new sport? Meet Bill Bennett, who after over 20 years decided that he was going to take up skiing again. Listen to how he did it, and you can too, on today's episode of Rock Your Retirement. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, this is Kathy, the founder of Rock Your Retirement. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I am so excited because my neighbor, Bill Bennett, has agreed to come on the show. And he is so awesome. I never see him anymore. He's traveling, he's involved in a lot of activities, so many that we really had a hard time trying to figure out what we were going to focus on today. But I think we've got it down, so please welcome today's interviewee, Bill Bennett. Bill was in sales and marketing for a number of companies and became an executive for a Fortune 500 company before he retired. What I have found is that executives have the most difficult time retiring because they go from working sometimes over 2,000 hours a year to going to zero. And Bill's going to talk about that with us today. So Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you did before you retired. So it just gives a background to our listeners. Well, when I graduated from college, I immediately went into the Marine Corps and went through their their flight program and spent four and a half years flying helicopters in the Marine Corps. Awesome. I I then went uh, into sales and marketing and worked for a company that was a provider to Sears and Roebuck of all of their shock absorbers, mufflers, and brakes. It was a lot of fun for me because I was kind of a car guy. Uh, eventually, I ended up with a, uh, a large Fortune 500 company that was the biggest manufacturer of office furniture in the world, and I started out in sales and marketing, 
in sales specifically and ended up being an executive in the home office in in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I oversaw a uh, group that supported our sales and marketing effort out in the field in Grand Rapids. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Now, that's really interesting, but I want to go back to what you said about flying helicopters. Okay. So tell me how that was, because that's harder than flying an airplane. Uh, Supposed to be, yeah. Okay, so what do you mean it's supposed to be? So it's not really? Well, if you've ever tried rubbing your tummy and patting your head, and uh, then you sat down and had to stomp your feet as well, that's kind of... (laughs) A little bit of what it's what it's like. I when I went through the uh, flight school, we we all learned how to fly airplanes first, and even got a chance to get carrier qualified, uh, land a, a fixed wing airplane on an aircraft carrier. Wow! Then we then we went off to to learn how to fly helicopters. Uh, helicopters during the the era that I was in the Marine Corps were pretty important in Vietnam. And so it was. It was a lot of fun. And and the the neat thing about helicopters is that uh, that uh, if you're out just flying around, that uh, if you see something you want to go look at, you can go get. You, you can just go down, and <laughs> if you want to, you can you know land and uh, you know get out and walk around. If you're in a place where you can do that, we, that's uh, pretty cool. You know, yeah. not a lot of people know how to fly a helicopter. Yep. Well, it's it's a lot of fun. We uh, were in the Philippines part of the time I was overseas, and uh, it was a lot of fun being able to to uh, fly around in the Philippines, go down and land, and actually talk to people on the ground. Wow! And sometimes we were seeing people that uh, were pretty much Aboriginal. Oh, so they'd and never seen a helicopter before. I don't think so. Did and they think you were a god? Or? Yeah. I, I mean. Uh, <laughs> There was there was a time uh, where we were flying along and saw a guy out about three miles off the shore standing on a sandbar and throwing a net. He was wearing a, a loincloth and he was oh my gosh. catching fish. And we landed next to him on this sandbar that, that was probably no more than about 10 feet wide. <laughs> what did he do? And he ignored us. Oh, I mean, he did. I mean, if if I would have been, you know, out there fishing and some helicopter had landed next to me, it would be, have been a big deal. Maybe he pretended he, like we didn't exist. Maybe he thought he was hallucinating. <laughs> you know, could have been. Yeah. Do you, do you speak Tagalog? Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> so you couldn't have talked to him anyway, probably. Yeah, probably not. Or there's more than one language in the Philippines, right? Yeah, I right? think there are, but but uh, Tagalog is the uh, is the main language. It's amazing <laughs> that you know that. Well, I pronounced it wrong, obviously. <laughs> but um, I know a lot of people from the Philippines. In oh, fact, do you really? Yes, I do, and uh-huh. I have a I have a Filipino assistant, or I don't know if it's properly Filipina. But she's from the Philippines, and she yeah. I think make... she, I think she would be considered a Filipina, like you have a Latina or something. So with like an that. A at the yeah. end. Well, thank you for that. So, so you had some adventure right out of uh, right out of college, yeah. And it led into you having some adventures now. So, may I ask how old you were when you retired? My retirement was not like black and white. I went from uh, working for Steelcase to opening my own business and had that business for about eight years. And during that time, I was kind of tapering off. I became a freelance photographer that worked for a number of construction companies uh, in San Diego, did that for a little while, and then kind of tapered tapered off. So it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't one day I was working and one day I was retired. So it wasn't a hit-the-wall kind of thing? No. 
No, it well, wasn't. Well, that, that's good. So yeah. that, that, that's helpful. Yeah. It, and the, the nice thing about it was it gave me some opportunity to find some other things that I, that I wanted to do during my retirement. I wasn't financially uh, dependent on an income. So it gave me an opportunity to do some things that I kind of had a lot of interest in for a long time and wanted to do. And being retired gave me a, an opportunity to kind of waste some of my time doing the things that I wanted to do rather than things to put food on the table and a roof over my head. Sounds good to me. So one of the things that I'd like to ask you is what's the biggest mistake that you made when you first retired? One of the last things we did kind of during the time that I was in transition was we built a house and that was filled with a lot of stress because at the same time I was starting a brand new business. In, so maybe in, that was the biggest mistake, trying to start a business and build a house at the same time. Yeah, well, of... and trying to do too much. The old Murphy principle of something that looks like it might be easy and then once you get in the middle of it, you find out that it's much more complicated. If it can go wrong, it will. And exactly. And <laughs> consequently, I, you know, I've always heard people say that uh, anytime you lose a spouse or you go through a major change in life, take a year and kind of don't do anything, add any any other things into the pot that would continue to Stress. make it more complicated. And I would say maybe that would be considered a mistake. I left the company that I had worked for 20 years and then started tried to a build business. a house and started a new business at the same time. And, and believe me, both of those things had a lot of hidden complication that I wasn't anticipating on the front end, but really made me uh, sometimes uh, lay in bed at night looking at the ceiling going, <laughs> what have I got myself into? Okay, so that sounds like the biggest mistake you made after you retired. Yeah, yeah I would say, uh, you know, if you're going to retire, just kind of lay back and kind of get a, an assessment of, of your situation and kind of a feel for what you're going to be doing during the next few years and take it slowly. Don't start two big major projects at the same time. Exactly. Okay, good advice. Well, thank you so much. What's something that you've been able to do now that you wouldn't have been able to do if you were still working. Well, one of the things that I that I did was um, uh, that that was part of a hobby that I had was I started writing for money for a magazine. They asked me to to write for them, and that was a lot of fun, and it it made it interesting to do. I was getting a little bit of money off of the thing. I it gave me some prestige uh, within the the people that are practitioners of my hobby. That was fun. Do you want to say what your hobby was? Collecting bottle cars, and the cars that I collected were not what you see in Toys R Us. They run into the thousands of dollars. I bet you have extra insurance on your cars. <laughs> uh, I've looked into it. I haven't done it yet. Okay, uh, well, I have somebody I'd like you to talk to. Okay. <laughs> Although this show is not about money or it's insurance. It's not about insurance. <laughs> the neat thing was that I got paid for writing the articles, but also I would have people that wanted to have their cars written about out in the magazine send me things and with no no expectation of, that they would be returned and uh, so so your hobby so now i have got a room full of model cars that i 
I really don't know what to do with. But, uh. <laughs> and I have to say, I have seen this room, and it is just amazing. I was so awestruck when I saw these cars. Yeah. It, it's really something to see. It's a, like a museum. I knew a lady that back in the day that collected paintings of cats with big eyes and mushrooms <laughs> and went to her house and looked at this. Everywhere there was, there was these cats with big eyes and mushrooms. <laughs> and in the same picture? Or? In the whole house. No. They no. Were, you know, big they, eyes they, in one painting, mushrooms in another. <laughs> exactly. And, and mushrooms in figurines and cats in, you know, whatever. But she didn't get paid. No, for those she, items. she didn't, but I remember walking out of her house and going, there's a screw loose here somewhere, you know. Well, you so, keep your cars hidden away. Yeah, well, and I, and I, so I anticipate that anybody that is hearing this about my cars probably will say, eh, maybe there's a screw loose there as well. So. Well, at least you didn't pay for all these cars so that's one good and if someday i really get tired of them i guess i can put them on ebay Uh, i've got about uh 450 of them and (laughs) and, uh like i said it's amazing to see they hardly fit into uh, my office where i keep them when i was told that i had to keep them (laughs) you had to keep them somewhere not (laughs) all over the house they would not be decorations in (laughs) any other room than my office well you could charge admission okay and 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 uh, start a little car museum. Yeah, I can see that happening. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the things that you're doing to rock your retirement. You are quite active, so let's talk about that. About a year and a half ago, uh, my wife passed away. I'm sorry. And that was a big loss. I have two children and three grandchildren. And how and long were you married? 42 years. That is a long time. You grew yeah. up together, didn't you? Yes, you know, I I met her after I uh, I was in college, um, after I graduated. But we went through a lot together, and we lived, you know, in Texas. We lived in California. We lived in Michigan. So it was a big loss, and and it was a big loss that affected my children as well. Because um, they lost their mother. Yes. Absolutely. It's a different kind of loss, though, losing a spouse. Yeah, yeah, it truly is. On one hand, it was a loss. On another hand, it was a an opportunity for me to kind of reassess what I wanted to do in my life and grab myself by the bootstraps and say, let's get on with it. And uh, it, it honestly has been an awakening for me because uh, I've tried to do some of the things that I wanted to do but wasn't able to do. Well, she was quite ill for a while, wasn't she? She had health problems, but uh, it wasn't anything that any of us anticipated. Was, I remember when she passed, it was sudden, yeah. and I was in yeah. great shock. But yeah. But I knew she had health problems. Right. And, uh, so th- that opened a door to getting active in some areas that I hadn't. I went back and started skiing again after having not skied in 20 years. Wow, uh, I can relate to that. I yeah. finally gave away all my ski equipment. <laughs> what was that like going back to skiing after you hadn't done it in 20 years? Were you sore? Well, I was sore. Particularly the tops of my thighs were the first probably month that I was doing it. A uh, month? How long did you go? How long did you do the ski trip? About uh, four months. 
four months of skiing. Wow. Did you, you know, do yeah. that every day? Yeah, pretty much. After uh, never skiing for 20 years yeah. to skiing every day for yeah. four months. I had a friend that uh, had a condo just outside of Keystone and Breckenridge and went up there, got a, a season pass. Uh, Wanted to take advantage of it. Absolutely. Even if you were sore for days and weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> You're going to uh, get your money's worth. Yep. <laughs> well, and that's, uh, I'm that way. It was a good opportunity and it was really fun. Made me uh, reassess what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do, but it was it was really fun and, and anticipate that I will continue skiing now. It didn't realize how much I missed it. My children and I used to go skiing. I would call them from work and say, you know, if you guys have your homework done, I will uh, pick you up and we'll go to the local ski area when we lived in Michigan. Oh, really? And so it was an incentive for them to uh, to get their homework done and I'd come home, grab a sandwich and out the back door and... And, and out you'd go. Yeah, and we'd uh, spend the evening skiing and it was really a lot of fun and I enjoyed it and I still do. Uh, now how old are your grandkids? My oldest grandchild is six years old and then they go six, four, and two. So maybe I see a ski trip in the future when they're all old enough to yeah, be uh, nice, grandpa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> you know skiing has gotten uh, fairly expensive if you don't have a season pass. The the season pass was uh, it was about $600. But if you don't do that and don't have a season pass, uh, it's about uh, $100 a day. Are you serious? To, just for the lift ticket. Yeah. So one week and you've paid for the pass. Yeah. So you yeah, might exactly. as well, even if you yeah. just go for a week, you might well, as well buy a pass. that was the calculation that went through my head when I bought it, you know? <laughs> well, it wasn't that expensive. I mean, it was when I skied more than 20 years ago, it was expensive. Right. Like I, I had to think, okay, am I going to go skiing or am I going to do something else? Sure. But, and then like I get cold. And uh -huh. so I have to have extra, you know, the hand warmers and things that you put inside your gloves. And so that made it more, you know, just everything made it more expensive. And the outfit, I had to have a one piece outfit because I get cold. Uh-huh. And so the outfit 20 years ago was $700. Right. So I can't even imagine what everything costs these well, days. <laughs> actually, it, it, it worked out. It worked out pretty well uh, because we were up in ski country in Colorado. Um, there are a lot of um, companies that are up there that, that sell ski equipment. We got up there early enough that uh, the there, were some, there were some great sales. One of the really good manufacturers is Obermeyer. And uh, we went to Klaus Obermeyer's uh, business just outside of Aspen. And they were selling $700 ski jackets for $115. Awesome. That's, and, that's uh, cool. And the, the technology has advanced to the point. So now you're warmer. Where uh, I used to get cold, cold toes and cold fingers and uh, have not had that happen. I, I knew this time that mittens were better than gloves, <laughs> that I should get mittens with little pockets in them so that you could put the warmers, warmers. Yeah, in them. Uh, I was told, hey, stupid, you don't uh, keep your feet warm by putting three pairs of socks on. Put the warmers in the feet, and too. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, oh, you didn't? didn't. I was... but, they, but by having very thin socks... It gives your blood the opportunity to flow and keep your your feet warm. Right, so because it's I, looser inside. Almost your have shoe. not been. I can almost say that I really haven't been cold like I used to. There, really? there are also underwear that uh, is radiates the heat back to the body. So um, new technology has yeah, made it easier to ski. The technology has made it great.
So listeners, if you haven't been skiing in 20 years before you, because you get cold, hey, maybe this is the time to go. <laughs> Just be careful. We don't want you running into a tree or anything. So, so that's pretty cool. You've uh, skiing after 20 years. And what else are you doing to keep active? I uh, had a Miata back in the day, back in the 1990s. What do you yeah. mean, had a Miata? I think I've seen you driving around in well, a little that's Miata. Well, that's the story I was going to tell you. Okay, I, uh, tell us I, the story. Uh, I had a Miata, and uh, and because I was doing freelance photography, I had to haul a lot of equipment. Oh, it's so hard got, to fit in a Miata. <laughs> so I got a I got a car that that more accommodated that. But my wife said, "Okay, now you got to sell the Miata." Aww. So I so I sold my Miata. I bet and you were heartbroken. I was, and I knew pretty much uh, probably within a couple months that I had made a pretty big mistake. Aww. Now, we happened to have a friend of ours that lived next door to my aunt who had one that was exactly like mine, only it was one year younger, oh. and she hardly ever drove it. Oh. And uh, so I, I said to her, you know, after I'd come on to the conclusion that I'd made a big mistake, I said... You were crying every night. I was crying. I was, you know, the pillows. I'd wake up. I'd I'd wake up in the morning with an absolute wet pillow because you were crying (laughs) all night long. So I told this friend of ours that if she uh, ever got to the point where she'd like to sell hers, I would like to have her call me. And uh, about two years ago, I got a call from this lady, and she said, "I have my Miata, and uh, are you still interested in getting it?" Jumped up and down. And, and I said, yes, I'm very interested. <laughs> and she said, well, I've got to tell you something and tell you what's wrong with it. And she listed off a, a list of four things that didn't amount to a hill of beans. <laughs> and so, so you said, oh, all those things are awful. I can yeah. only offer you half of what you want. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> Just kidding. actually, that wouldn't have been fair because when I asked her what she wanted for it, she said, uh, well, it's down at the dealership now, and it needs work before it can be driven. If you'll go down and pay the $107 diagnostic fee to the dealership, I'll sign the, uh, oh my the pink gosh. slip forward to you. So Are I, you serious? I, I got this. Uh, you got it for $107? I got it for $107. Okay. Bill, if you ever want to sell your Miata, <laughs> I would like to buy it from okay. you, okay? Because... <laughs> One of my dreams when I was in sales, um, a brand new financial advisor. Uh Oh, and I usually don't tell people what I did for a living on this show, but it sort of snuck out. I made myself a deal that if I made X amount of money, I would buy a Miata. (laughs) If I made Y amount of money, I would buy a convertible Toyota. Uh And if I made a third amount of money, I would buy another car. I don't remember what the car was. I I know that when the Lexus first came out, nobody knew what a Lexus was. And I thought it was gorgeous. Uh So that could have been the top tier. Uh So anyway, I made X amount of money. So I wound up buying a Toyota Celica convertible. Uh-huh. And I never got the Miata. And I always wanted a Miata. So, so Bill, I'm making this public offer that when you're ready to sell your Miata, I will give you more than $107 for it. And you'll make well, a profit. thank you. And I, and I definitely will remember that. <laughs> Please do. Because it's um, it'll be recorded for all posper- uh, well, posterity. I, I don't know what that word posterity, is. Posterity. Thank think. you. <laughs> I think the lady was surprised because I put it into a car show. And it won first in its class. She had... <laughs> <laughs> she had done a, a beautiful job of uh, over the years. She'd only driven it about 4,000 miles a year, and she'd 
kept it in beautiful condition, and uh, it was just a treasure. So, did she regret giving it to you for one hundred seven dollars? I showed it to her after I had fixed all the things that needed to be fixed and everything, and I showed her the the trophy that I'd won, and uh, she had a look on her face that <laughs> kind of said, "Maybe I didn't do the right thing." But she gave me her me on it, bought a new one. So, oh, so it's so, so not all is lost. Yeah, not all. Is and lost. you did have to put some money into it to I fix did. it. I so. did. I put some wheels on it and a roll bar and all that kind okay, of stuff. Okay, so <laughs> maybe I'd have to offer you more than $107 when well, we're ready to sell it, but it is it is pretty cool. So you're in a Miata club. I I'm, think we were I'm, talking about that. Yeah, I'm, there's a uh, Miata club here in San Diego. And, uh, and they are all over the world. So if you're not yeah, listening in San yeah. Diego, there's probably one where you live. Absolutely. And honestly, they're one of the most fun cars to drive. Uh, More you can fun for- than a Maserati? You can forget your Maseratis <laughs> and your Lamborghinis Ferraris. and your Porsches and Ferraris. And uh, I'm surprised you fit in it. How tall are you, Bill? 6'2". <laughs> You seem taller than that to me. It's a little bit of a a squeeze. Just drive with the top down. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I do that some. The nice thing about it is that there is a very active group here in San Diego. You would think that a bunch of sports car people would all be probably in their 25s or 30 range. They're actually all pretty close to my age. It's more of a retiree Miata club than oh, anything. Oh, interesting. And we do some things that uh, it's not a bunch of people driving 25 miles an hour. We go Tell out us. And, Tell us and, what you do. And, well, we go out and find twisty roads and see who can scare oh my the gosh. other person. Are these things legal that you're doing? No, don't don't answer that question. We don't want anything on tape. I would not want to admit that they were illegal, but uh, take the fifth. Take the fifth. Well, the, the nice thing about a Miata is that they give you the kind of thrills that a Porsche you would have to go 95 or 100 miles an hour. And you can get those and Miata kind of going thrills. 35. No, well, maybe not 35, <laughs> but uh, a little bit, a little bit faster than that. Well, it sounds like fun. So, so it's, it's a good group, and and we have fun together. And there are a lot of different things that we do. We we race on parking lots, and we <laughs> we go up to the mountains, up the curvy roads, and uh, get pie at up in Julian. Julian. Yeah, so yeah. how many people would say go to Julian and with? Like, are there enough parking spaces in Julian for the whole club? Uh, yeah, there's about uh, 300 people in the club. Wow. But, you know, on any given event, there's probably uh, maybe at the most 30 or 40 cars that, okay. that would participate. But there are enough activities that everybody finds something that they're interested in doing. So how often is there an activity? A couple times a month to maybe once a week. Wow, uh, that's yeah, a yeah. very active club. Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of people that uh, like each other. Uh, sometimes the the Miatas are kind of the glue that holds the club together, but uh, there are a bunch of people that just like being around the other members. And so, well, maybe that's fun. because people who have Miatas have a certain personality. Yeah, could like be. I always say, people with Porsches have a certain personality. People with <laughs> I'm not going to get into any of that, but um. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, uh, Especially there, since uh, there isn't my brother... a lot of arrogance in the in the Miata club. So if my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and all my in-laws with Porsches are listening to this, I take it back. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. You know, so there's always an exception to every I, rule. I've, I've owned a Porsche as well. Oh, but, uh, see, and you and a Miata. So see, it, there's no um, what do you call it? stereotypes here, right? 
and the and the beauty i'm not here to sell mazda's cars but they're pretty uh maintenance free you, you can have a lot of fun without them spending uh, a lot of time in in the shop being worked on and if they are worked on you might be able to pick one up for 107 dollars well <laughs> Yeah, I I think that was a little bit uh, no, I'm unusual. Just teasing. But, I, uh, of course, of course. I mean, and it's a very cute car, by the way. Very cute. <laughs> so, so you're in this Miata club. You stay active that way. Uh-huh. Any other tips for my listeners about how to stay active after you've retired? Anything else that you do? Well, what about things that don't uh, cost money? I love walks on the beach. Okay. And have friends that we do that together and just uh, uh, hike and just try to keep the bones moving and stuff so that the joints don't uh, freeze up. Got to lubricate them every now That's and then. That's right. Probably don't do it as much as I should, but I was never a big golfer or followed uh, professional sports too much. So I do the things that that I enjoy that uh, you know that keep the blood circulating and the brain working. That's good. They say that anything that that helps the heart affects the brain, that helps the brain. Right. And the other thing is that if it doesn't hurt you, it's good for you. So well, sometimes <laughs> Sometimes it, if it hurts you, it's still good for you. It well, maybe if it doesn't kill you then. Well, How does that you don't work? want to hurt too badly. Like, for example, you, you said your thighs hurt after the skiing. For, but you they know. don't anymore. Exactly, because you kept doing it. Well, and, and also, I've been a sea level pretty much a sea level boy most of my life and all of a sudden I found oh. my myself at 11 12,000 13,000 feet did you get sick uh, never got sick headaches but, uh, or anything no I didn't it didn't have uh, do any of that but certainly got winded and I uh, took an oximeter with me oh you, you can, did yeah that you can clip on your finger and they say that that over 10,000 feet you should at least in flying you should wear an oxygen mask right so I took a an oximeter with me and 95% or below is considered hypoxic lack of oxygen and uh, when I first got to Colorado I was running in the 92 93 oh that's not good yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but after being there for a month I noticed that all of a sudden it went know, up. my numbers were 96 97 so okay that's good and 90... what are they right here in San Diego at sea level well, well everybody's different but like, but, is it usually 100% if you're at sea level? No, or how it wouldn't does that be. Work? I, at least for me, it wouldn't be. It would. I would probably be in my 96, 97. Oh, okay. So, so it I, became normal. I got to, the, to what was normal for me in okay. about a month. But there are people that go to Colorado and up in those altitudes that get headaches and pretty much you nausea. consider them ill. Yeah, headaches and nausea. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I took a trip with Les to the Galapagos Islands. Uh-huh. And before you get there, you you have to fly into Quito, and that's at ten thousand. I think it's at ten. I I don't know. I'm not good uh-huh. with that kind of. But it's 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 up there. Uh-huh. And they tell you on the first two days when you're in Quito before you get to the Galapagos, you have to acclimate yourself to that mm-hmm. being up there. And they say don't drink alcohol and drink a lot of water and people want to party and they want to drink alcohol and they don't drink water and that's part of the issue when you're up in those high altitudes and you're not and you're not used to it so for our listeners who are making a trip to a high altitude for the first couple days don't drink alcohol and drink a lot of water and that'll help get acclimated so anything else that you're doing that's sort of fun or that or Uh. that you want to talk about as far as staying well, active? Uh, I I am lucky enough to have a daughter that that lives close by. 
the joy of, of my week is on Sunday, I usually go over to my daughter's house and spend time with my two little granddaughters. Now, how I, old are they? Four, five, and two. And four, five, and two. No, no. Oh, the, she's almost The older five. is almost five. Okay. No, so, <laughs> so I really enjoy playing with them and just being a presence in their life. I I had grandparents in my life. Uh, my grandmothers were alive when I was was young, and it was nice knowing them and all of that. And I and I want to be a presence in in their life. My son is in Fort Worth, so he's not as easy to get to. But I make a conscious effort to try to get down and see him, and and they come here as well. And how many children do they have? Just one. Oh, one. So uh-huh. you have three grandchildren. Uh huh. Okay. Well, that's good. I I think that that's great that you're staying in your grandkids' life. I know that I just toured a senior facility yesterday for memory care, and they have an intergenerational program. They have a school next door to the senior home. Every day, I think, during the school day or a couple times a week, they will bring the school children in from the school next door. They sing songs together. They eat lunch together. Oh, how much fun that was! I has know, to be. and and I'm sure that some of these kids don't have their grandparents around because sure. so many people don't live in the same area as their parents. So. I think that's really awesome that you're able to spend time with your grandchildren. Well, it's a it's a nice connection, and and uh, it's nice to be able to see your progeny, you know, be with them, and so that when they get into their adulthood, we'll look back at that and say those were those were, were the good, times. good times, right? Yeah. And it's nice to have the intergenerational support. Yep. So for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's good. So you have told us a lot about staying active, and it's helping you stay healthy. The Mm -hmm. more active you are, the healthier you are. So I have a lot of listeners who haven't retired yet. So let's talk to those listeners that have not retired yet. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to my listener who has not retired yet in order to have a great retirement? I think it's very difficult to, to have a great retirement if you're really money limited. And so I think that one of the, the good things is prepare for your retirement financially so that you don't have to have a constant gray cloud over your head of not being able to afford to do the things you want to do. And that's a lot of times is easier said than done. And I and I recognize that. But, but one of the things is, uh, I think, a, a good idea is to, ahead of time, prepare by looking at what your monthly or your weekly expenses are going to be and try to figure out how you're going to Living. satisfy those financial needs with the assets that you have. And one of the things that I probably will do is, is I, since my wife passed away, my house is a four-bedroom house, honestly a lot bigger than I need. I feel like uh, a BB rattling around inside of a coffee can. So I will probably move to a smaller home or maybe even get a couple of them so that I can spend some time here and spend some time in Texas. I'm, I haven't really figured that out yet, but what I want to do is downsize. downsize so that I have the available cash 
to go out and, and do, what do you traveling want. and things like that. I'm rebuilding a car right now. Now, I what had, kind of car is this? Uh, it's a Datsun 240Z. Oh, uh, my dad had one of those. Yeah, yeah. This one's, uh, well, it was 1973. So it's a 40 some year old car. There's an expense to it. But uh, you financially are able to handle the expense yeah. because you plan for it. So let's say some of my clients who are really close to retirement, uh-huh. they didn't plan. They don't have a lot of money and they don't have the options that you have. Could they join a club like the Miata Club to oh, yeah. keep themselves active? Oh, yeah. I mean, is, it, is that an expensive thing to do? Yeah. Or You know, I think you just need to tailor the things that you do in your life. A walk on the beach costs nothing. There are so many things that you can do reading good books and going to museums. and Yeah, here in San Diego, yeah. the first Tuesday of the month, yes. there's a free... Is free. It the fir- I, b- I believe it's Tuesday or Thursday, yeah. There's free access to museums, so yep. you wouldn't even have yes. to pay to go to museums. And, and I have done that. A couple nights ago, we went down to the Oregon Pavilion at Balboa Park. They have just added a whole new section of pipes to the uh, outdoor organ Wonderful. to make it the... It, make it the biggest outdoor organ in the in the world. They had a had a concert. They this was the kind of introductory concert to this to the new, new pipes. expanded organ and they also had during the intermission they have a tower down there where they have and I can't pronounce it but Carolyn uh Carillion, I don't know whatever how they, it's pronounced. Yeah, it's the bells. <laughs> We heard organ, and then during the intermission, there was a player who happened to be a member of the Miata Club oh. that entertained us all, all by, by playing the, the bells. And then then the second half of the uh, the organ concert, and the only cost uh, to that was the you know the cost of getting there. And if you rode uh, on the bus or whatever, or drove you your get car there down, almost free. It was almost free. Absolutely. Sure. So, and there are other parts of the country, not just San Diego, that have free things to do as well. Yep. And you just have to find them. Yep. And I have to tell you that one of the things that I didn't know existed was there is a whole community of people up in Summit County, Colorado, that spend the winters skiing. And I'm talking about retirees. And they ski and they dance. They have dance. They're reverse meetings. snowbirds. Yeah. Well, and they <laughs> well, and then they go to Florida during the non-snow months. Oh, okay. And no, so, so they, they are snowbirds. Wait, wait a minute. Wait. Yeah. Wait, they're in Florida when it's hot. No, wait. They're yeah, they're in they're in Florida when it's when hot. They're, when, when they're not in. Uh, yeah. So they're reverse snowbirds. Kind of, yeah. Kind Isn't of. that funny? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you have people who may be widowers or are not married at the time. And there's this very active community of people that all know each other and, and spend their winters together. And uh, I'll tell you, there there are some 70 and 80-year-old people that uh, are rocking their retirement. Are rocking their retirement. <laughs> and if you tried to keep up with them skiing, you'd probably hurt yourself. <laughs> I think it all comes down to making the best of your retirement and uh, not just sitting down and watching television. You know, eight hours of television every day. Yes, uh, that can that can turn your brain and your body to mush. Yep. The next question before we wrap up the show is, what about the retiree who's not rocking it? They're stuck. What's the piece of advice that you would give to that person 
How do you get unstuck? I think that if you find yourself in that situation and you're unhappy with it, then it just is incumbent on you to decide what you don't like about it and do something about it. There are some people that that's what they want to do. They may not want to go out and walk or you know be active in whatever way, or maybe they have skeletal muscular problems that they can't. Now, I would not say every it's right for everybody to walk 10 miles a day or something. No, I, I couldn't say, do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I think you have to do what makes you happy. But I don't think that you should feel guilty if you're not doing a bunch of things that somebody else might think are the right thing to do. So do what makes you happy. I think you have to be selfish with your time. Very good advice. Thank you so much. Sure enough. Bill, thanks so much for coming on the show. And for my listeners, we hope to see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Are you buried in information regarding Medicare health insurance? Have you gotten a four-inch stack of mail regarding Medicare? Do you wish that you could find an experienced agent who works with multiple companies to assist you or your loved one? You're in luck. Medicare Quick starts each prospective client with a 20-minute informational webinar that describes the difference between Medicare Advantage plans and Medicare Insurance Supplement plans. Then, after you understand what type of plan matches your lifestyle, we help you decide which company suits your individual needs. Call 866 445 6683 for more information or go to the website medicarequick.com. Mention the word rock and we'll send you a cool stylus pen just for calling. Medicare Quick is not connected with the federal Medicare program. Medical insurance licensed in the states of California.